Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. A guitarist on a comedy podcast? But it's not the first time we've had a musician on. Not by a long shot. Two of our first five episodes had musicians on. We had world champion beatboxer and current beatboxer for Freestyle Love Supreme, Kayla Malady, as well as musical comedy duo The Reformed Whores in those first few episodes. And since then, we've had on Emory lead singer Toby Morell. We've had Neil Brooks, who made the music of our theme song. We had the Sox fellas, you know, the best friends of the show. And Jim Hendrix himself. Uh, of the best friend of the show gang, not the one who's no longer living. Emily C. Browning has been on twice. Mary Spender has been on. So this podcast is no stranger to musical guests. And all of them have given great advice that any kind of creator or artist can learn from. And today's guest is no exception. He's one of the hottest R&B guitarists in the game and has played the world over with acts ranging from Jason Derulo to The Roots to Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child to Ladisi to Ty Dolla Sign and many more. He's dope. We talk about what it's like switching from those different kinds of acts, playing at church, and more. Here's my chat with Carrie Too Smooth Marshall. I know you're from originally North Carolina. Where in North Carolina were you born? I was born in Fayetteville. Okay. Yeah. I lived in Raleigh until I was okay. you, you moved out at 11. You you moved to Alabama yep. at 11. I moved out of North Carolina at 11, but to South Carolina. So Got you. Okay. Similar path in that. Yeah, regard. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't become a great guitarist when I moved <laughs> out, but <laughs> I did a lot. It's a lot of work. I did a lot of things in between to get to this place, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. When did you start playing guitar? Honestly, I started playing guitar realistically, right? By like a 10 or 11. Um, oh, I kind wow. of started pick, I started picking it up to the point I can kind of like gauge it. Like, oh, I like the instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, was really influenced probably about the age of six. I started to see, and there was a guy that played at our church. And um, I think I, like, I always talk about this, you know, Dave Chappelle was talking about how like the aura you saw, you know, when he saw, I saw the aura of this guy playing. So I was just like, I wanted to, you know, experience that. So I always like used to mimic him growing up as a child. So that's kind of where my love started for it. But 10 is really where I kind of like, I could play a few chords and I kind of liked what I could do with the instrument. Oh, that's cool. I hear a lot of people, they started at 14. Right. The jump on them. Right. Well, you know, being in church, you know, it's kind of like, it's like next man up. So like the guys that were playing before me had kind of graduated from high school. So it's like, there was a vacancy. So like, there's a spot that's open and everybody wants wants to be a drummer. Like in my heart of hearts, I would love to be a drummer. If I could play any instrument outside of like guitar, it would be drums. So I wasn't very good. You know, there was like a roster of drummers and I was like the guy who was really bad. They would only play like maybe the last song in service or like during the offering when it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so there was a vacancy for a guitar and I was like, I really like the guitar. So nobody wanted to step into that role. So I just like 
hey, you know, maybe it's my, you know, my seat. So I decided to start playing again. That's where I kind of like started to get my feet wet, you know, where I just kind of yeah. learned how to play a few chords and I could hear melodies, but I didn't really know how to pair it all together. What was your first guitar? Um, my first guitar was like this red guitar from like um, Sears. Like my parents bought me like this red electric guitar. It didn't even have a name. I don't think it had a name. <laughs> but like, you know, Sears, you have the little catalogs. They had electric guitars you can just get. And I think it's just mm -hmm. one of the ones. So I got the one Sears of those. Sears catalog. I remember yeah, those days. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I circled it like, I want this one. <laughs> so you started playing at church and building up your ability and your talent and skill and your love of gospel music and music in general, I'm sure. Right. So, and you still play at church, don't you? Yeah, mm -hmm. I still play at church. What's it like going from the big stages with the, the names that you've been on to then regularly playing at church? Right. I assume that keeps you grounded in what yeah, matters. Yeah, sure. Definitely. I mean, church is, is a foundational piece of who I am as a person. So at the end of the day, regardless of how big of a stage or what kind of artist that I played for, um, I could be in front of thousands to go back until playing, you know, church service varies depending on where, where you are. It's just the roots, the foundation. So one of the things that I was really raised on was like, you don't forget your foundation, regardless of how big you get, you never forget your foundation, especially being spiritual. It helps keep you rooted because there's so much stuff that you're exposed to, just not just because you're playing on these main stages, but just life in general, there's ups and downs, there's highs and lows. So having a relationship, you know, spiritually keeps you rooted, helps you have a good foundation. So the way you're able to kind of navigate throughout life because you're not always on the stage. You're not always playing in front, you know, of, yeah. on, or on TV. So you're mostly not happens. on stage. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Real life happens every day. So, yeah. It's interesting because there are a couple of things where we're talking about routine and foundation mm -hmm. that with, with guitar playing, you have to have a practice routine so that you can right. continue to get better with spirituality. There is a spiritual routine. There's getting right. up, there's reading the Bible, there's journaling, you know, right. there's, there's that kind of thing. In, in having a routine that can keep your foundation solid. You were also in the military. So for right. one, thank you for your service, but that's another Appreciate place. It. Yes. Th that's another place where routine in a strict routine matters. Yes. <laughs> so Definitely. you had a lot at a young age, starting at a very young age that was really building this foundation for you. Right. Yeah. It, it definitely gave me all the principles for discipline and being like organized in the sense of, because as a musician, as a professional musician, you have a lot of flexibility. As a creative, you have a lot of flexibility. Like now I have a team, I've got, you know, a company and I have a team, but they give me, they don't really give me guidance. They'd be like, we need these videos like this week. And if I'm not disciplined enough to know when I need to create them, I could probably wait till last minute or I may not do it because there's really nobody that's over you kind of like, not necessarily micromanaging, but there's nobody managing your time. So you're really in charge of having to be disciplined enough to be like, okay, cool. This is the time block that I have. I need to do this. These are the next things I need to do. So like that structure that I got from the military definitely helped with the foundational speed, like being on time, especially for like lobby calls or for gigs, you can, showing up in the right uniform, the, the right, every, you know, there's a lot of principles that I took from that life and I use it and apply it to everything else that I do now. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. You talked about, or you just mentioned there, having a team and a company mm -hmm. where you're making videos. Is that your social media presence that you're talking about? Yeah. So I have a company called Happy Camper. Essentially, that's where we do the YouTube stuff, where we have our online school called Carrie's Camp. And essentially, I'm the CEO of the company, but my staff, I have people that help out in marketing and people that help out with like 
editing for videos and everything. So they pretty much give me like, these are the things that we need from you. We need them by this time. So if you can get them to us, that'd be great. And so there's a lot of flexibility. And if, if you're not disciplined, you can let a lot of things fall flat. And I could use the excuse like, oh, I'm really busy and I'm not really busy. I'm just, I, did, I was just lazy and didn't do it. So having that structure in my life, I know like, okay, cool, right out of schedule. You, I mean, this treat like it's a regular nine to five, get up at a certain time, go work out, go eat something or whatever. And then like log in so many hours, like so the way you're, you're on top of your stuff, because I don't just have to, you know, run the company, but also have gigs that I prepare for sometimes sessions that I have to do, or, you know, various things that could happen along the way, you know, you have to consult with, you know, people that are really trying to figure out how to get into, you know, being professional. So without any kind of structure, you, a lot of things could just go, you know, where you, there, nobody's really kind of pointing you in the right direction. So it's really important to have, you know, structure. Yeah. Absolutely. And it could also be really easy to burn out. That's one of the things I've been thinking about lately when it comes to having an online presence. If you're doing it yeah. alone and you don't know what you're doing and you're also not setting yourself up for success right. the way you're talking about, then you can just burn out. You, you'll run out of ideas for videos. You won't have right. any help getting that stuff. And there's a lot to do. Right. And uh, another thing that I think is interesting about about this is you're talking about a team. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people, they're aware of The Rock having a team. They're aware of Will Smith having a team. Right. But it doesn't matter where you are in the industry. You can yeah. be the biggest person in the world or someone who's coming up and has made a name for themselves like you have. You still need a team if you want to do daily videos right. on Instagram and put a bunch of videos up on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's really important. The reason, and I like you said a lot of those different names. I used to like watch documentaries or interviews that Will Smith has done, Kevin Hart has done, and especially Kevin Hart because yeah. there was a time that Kevin Hart was literally everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, how does this man? How does he do this? Yeah, and you know, a lot of times when you're just seeing the person, you're not seeing the behind the scenes where now he's got a team and his team they help do this, they help do that. And like you said, regardless of whatever level, I try not to be the smartest person in the room in the sense what I'm saying is like, I know that I'm not the specialty in everything like editing. I'm okay. I'm not the best. It might take me like hours. It could take somebody like 30 minutes to get something done. Right. right? Marketing. I mean, I, I have somewhat of a background in marketing, but I'm not the marketing guru. I'm not going to sit here and be like, okay, I'm going to watch the algorithm and tell you what everything is going to do. Right. I'd rather right. you just brief me and be like, okay, cool. So in, in being successful, I think in the beginning, everybody thinks that they have to wear everything on like, oh, I got to do everything. I got to do everything. And then, like you said, you find yourself falling short. Mm -hmm. Share the load. You know, if you share yeah. the load, you get people that know exactly how to help you, then you can be successful. And that's yeah. one of the things that I realized definitely took a huge burden off of me. Um, trying to, like I said, touring, being a professional musician, doing the business, like, you know, other things that are going on. So it helps you to manage it so you don't feel so overwhelmed and be anxious all the time. Right. There was something, there's a quote that I heard Tina Fey say a long time ago when I think she, she might've heard Lorne Michaels say it. I can't remember where all the details <laughs> land with this, but she was who I heard it from where there was something she was worried about not being able to do. And someone told her you can hire someone to do that. It's true. <laughs> you don't have to do everything. I, I think more people need to hear more creatives need to hear that. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. I think, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people in business need to hear that because there's mm -hmm. so many stories out there of how someone made it. And it's always this like, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, like they did True. it all themselves. And the truth is they didn't. Right. <laughs> and so right. we need to stop believing that lie. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> and realize we, 
we need right. a team <laughs> and, right. and your team needs to be you need to be aware of what your specialties are exactly and you need to know or at least get with someone who knows what all is needed for exactly. the machine to work and right. then then you can determine well my specialty is over here i need someone else with these other skill sets right i mean I, when you say that it makes me think about like the bulls like when they were at the peak right everybody knows michael is like the guy but if you didn't have dennis rodman getting those rebounds right or scotty pippen playing the defense or even having john paxton or steve kerr that could hit those threes hit those shots needed. if you Absolutely. didn't have those guys at specific times you're not going to win right you know, so regardless of how great you are you do need a supporting cast or, or at least you know people that are going to be like okay we understand the vision once you get the right people with the right vision that understand what what it is then you guys can more move ahead and be successful Absolutely. And everyone's got to be a threat in that way, right. you know, like if, exactly. if you have four chumps and then one star <laughs> player, well, right. they don't get to the championship so easily. No, <laughs> because, not at all. You know, they, they could just double team or triple team that star. <laughs> exactly. They're like exactly. that chump over there isn't going to hit a shot. I don't need exactly. to worry about him. <laughs> exactly. Him exactly. Open. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I need to watch the last dance again. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. For sure. So you, when you started your team, you you started Happy Campers. Is that what Happy Campers kind of like is your yeah. entity for creating yeah. a, have, creating the stuff that you're creating? Yeah. So essentially, I started out as, as Carry Too Smooth. Carry Too Smooth was the umbrella. It was like the infancy stage, like when I'm doing like all of the the YouTube stuff. You know, I was trying to work on my whole branding. Like everything should be Carry Too Smooth, Carry Too Smooth, Carry Too Smooth. But then once I got bigger and I got with the team, I realized that oh, we need we need to branch out. Because everybody knows the carry to suicide, but like now we need to kind of rebrand ourselves. Mm -hmm. So Happy Camper became like the new company where we, it's like our umbrella company where we we branch out. And now we're doing more focused things like with Carrie's Camp. That's where Carrie's Camp kind of evolved from. Um, I was getting hit up for a bunch of Skype lessons and I realized that I cannot sit in front of a laptop for hours on hours and still try to like, you know, do sessions, still try to play professionally. So we, we developed something that really became something that the pandemic really kind of helped spiral and really kind of like help, you know, slingshot to be as successful as it was because we already had the frameworks of something amazing, but being that everybody was home, people wanted to learn how to new, do new skills. People wanted to do different things. So it really kind of helped, you know, propel us to the direction and, and the success that we've had so far. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really fascinated with this because I'm trying to figure out my own sort of way Gotcha. into that sort of space mm -hmm. because I'm doing everything with this podcast myself and my, all the social media I'm doing right. except for my brother is helping me edit the videos for the YouTube, right. you know, right. like that's, and, and that's, you know, it's simplified for him to be able to do without burning out too. But gotcha. when it comes to beating the algorithm, knowing what's needed, all the stuff that's outside of my expertise <laughs> I've heard a little bit about, but don't know how to execute. I want to do it myself. I'm sure there are a bunch of other people listening who want that as well. Right. So I'm curious at where you were at the beginning of this stage of creating this, because I'm thinking my assumption was I would have to go to a company, but you started a company. Right. So yeah. how did you meet with people and, and where... <laughs> Like, what was the cost getting in? You know, right. that, you don't have to get too much. Oh, no problem. Yeah. To, Honestly, my, my story is so unique. The, my business partner, my first business partner, was a guitar student. And we literally were seven minutes apart. 
she was looking for guitar lessons and the person that she had this, the, you know, the teacher she asked for before kind of like dropped the ball. And so she was just like, I'm going to take a shot. Like, you know, I think, you know, he's not going to respond because, you know, at that time I started to get a lot of notoriety. So people were thinking like, Oh, I'm a DM him. He's not going to respond. Mm -hmm. And I responded. I was like, yeah, I would love to give you guitar lessons. When are you thinking about whatever? So I'm like, we scheduled a date and I put it in the address. I'm like, you're like seven minutes away. I can literally walk to, you know, your spot if I needed to. <laughs> and so we were walking. And so she was, um, asking, you know, like just random questions, just, you know, just filling people out. Like, you know, we're talking about life. And so some kind of, some kind of way it came across as like what she does. And I was like, cool. I was just listening. And so she was like, do you mind if I like, give me like a, a few weeks, whatever, and I'll, I'll shoot you kind of a proposal. And the proposal was, I think at that time I maybe had like less than 20,000 followers or something like that. And she was like, what if 2000 of those followers bought your course at a certain price point? Because I was working with another company that was essentially doing the same thing that I'm doing now, but and so she was like, how, this is how much money you could potentially make. And I'm like, ah, this is fake. This is not real. <laughs> right. this, is, this is not real. So like, and she was like, I have a background in this, these particular aspects. So all the stuff that you were talking about that I hate doing, because mm -hmm. I can create content all day. Cause I mean, if you want to show you how to play a chord, I can do that. But right. sitting there and watching all the, I don't really care about any of that. So <laughs> right. that's kind of how we kind of paired together. So essentially what I would tell you, like, in our other people that are listening is sometimes you just got to look around what's in your area. You never know what's in your area. Sometimes you're, you're connected to people who like to sit there and kind of like, that's what they love to do. It's not like in their own private time, they're just intrigued by this kind of stuff. So a lot of times I would just ask, you know, people who are in your specific circles, like, hey, do any of you guys like understand what this is? And you never know, somebody might say, like, actually, da, 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 da. You just like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Like, would you mind helping me out? You know, like, sure, I would love to do it. And then as you build and you see that like this person has a strong, you know, you feel like, oh, I would love for you to be on my team. Like, can we discuss like how that works for you? What, what does that look like? Would you be willing to do, you know, like maybe once a week, twice a week, kind of give me an update of whatever this looks like or how we can reshape. You yeah. never know and realize, I just realized the power of asking people. And sometimes like what you need is really around you. You don't have to necessarily always look out or outsource per se but be open to it. You know, if you need to outsource or find somebody that's a, that specializes in that, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm a brand new company. I'm just starting out. I need guidance. We want to be successful, but how do we do it? Right. Oh, this is what you need to do right here. Cause people are willing to give you kind of the, the tools to do it. It's really like, you got to be the person that puts in the work. Um, yeah. I watch Gary V all the time and he's like a huge inspiration because he's always talking about like you, I think we give ourselves these unrealistic timelines. We think like, oh man, I'm like 30 plus. I got to have it now. I got to get it now. And he's just like, no, give yourself grace. This is a marathon and not a sprint. And understanding like sometimes you just got to ask the people that are around you and they can help kind of pull you to the direction that you want to go. So that's what I would oh, say. That's really encouraging and actionable advice. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Definitely. Just to go back to your trajectory in your mm -hmm. career, you lived after you lived in Alabama for a while, but then you moved to LA about yep. 10 years ago. How right. long did you live there? I lived in LA close to about eight years. Okay. Yeah. And you're currently in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been there? It'll be two years in May. So two years next month, like May 8th. Wow. What yep. made you choose Atlanta as your hub? Because LA, I know there are a lot of studios and I know Nashville right. is a place too for music, but Atlanta isn't mentioned first, but it's in the list. So the when, the reason why I, I wanted to buy a house, so my daughter's mom and I were together and we were you know, living in LA and we were like, oh, we're going to have our daughter. So we wanted to be closer to like my family because uh, she's from Canada. So in oh. um, doing so, 
I didn't want to be back in Birmingham. I love Birmingham. I don't want anybody to think that, oh, he hates Birmingham. I love Birmingham, but I wanted to be in a bigger city that still allowed me to like, I could fly out of an airport if I needed to go back to LA to do a lot of work. So okay. Atlanta was a major city. And the reason why I stuck on Atlanta, a good friend of mine, Rhett Schultz, I told him I wanted to go to Nashville. And I was like, Nashville, Nashville, Nashville. You cannot tell me differently. If you would have asked me like <laughs> during that time frame where I was deciding to go, Nashville was it. I had already started looking at houses, started looking at places already kind of had settled in on a specific area. And we, I happened to be at NAM and just kind of small talking, just like, hey man, you know, what's going on? I say, I know you live down South. I'm thinking about moving. Uh, what are your thoughts on Nashville? And he was like, have you ever considered Atlanta? And I was like, nah, I mean, I'm from Birmingham. I used to go to Atlanta all the time. Like, I'm not thinking about Atlanta. He's like, no, there are a lot of studios because um, my daughter's mom was in TV and radio. He said, there's a lot of studios. Um, you should probably really consider Atlanta and their R&B. I know it's like your big thing in gospel. There's a lot of, there's a lot of spaces that people are just not really aware of, but it's starting to gain some steam. So I was like, okay, you know, Atlanta's two hours from the crib. If I need to go back to Birmingham, I can see my folks, whatever, I can definitely do that. And so the more I started to chew on it and sit on it, things just started to align. I was looking at a property, a brand new house that was brand built like here. And I was like, well, the house that I'm in right now, right before the pandemic, everything fell in line. I was able to get the house. I was able to move like at the low price point before, you know, real estate and everything jumped up. So it just felt like everything was right. So now that I'm here, everything's been falling in line. I mean, I've I've flown back to LA to do a lot of different TV shows, but I'm like, I'm 25 minutes from the airport. So it's like, I'm still close enough if I need to get the call to go back. And then like, I'm, I'm go back in time, going back to the West Coast. I like, I'm gaining like the three hours that I miss. So it's just like <laughs> flights are really good. So I can leave at a certain dial and get there in enough time to not feel like I got to get there early in the morning versus when I was in LA having to come to the East Coast. I'm like, man, I lose a whole day. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, things were just working out and aligning themselves. So it just, it just felt like the right move. And now that since I've been here for going on two years, it's, it's definitely been the right move. Oh, that's really cool. That sounds yeah. like a real good situation. What shows were you shooting in LA? Jimmy Kimmel. So I was doing a lot of uh, oh, late night TV shows. So um, performing with different artists, getting calls to go back for, for different artists. So that's oh, okay. one of the great things that I would say, like networking in LA was completely different. And that's one of the things that I really learned. So being here in Atlanta, I'm applying those same principles, but networking was huge because I built a, a huge community. So when guys would call, Hey, we got an artist is in town. We're doing Kimmel. We're doing any kind of late night TV show rehearsals are these days, I can just fly back and do what I need to do in and out, which is I love because LA is a great place to work. But for me, it just wasn't the best place to live. So (laughs) now that I'm here, I'm like, okay, we could go to work for like a week and I can come back and be back in my house. (laughs) straight. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's a good situation then. That's the, I mean, my mom is and dad are are still in the Carolinas. Okay. And I'll have a lot of friends there. So ideally, I would be able to live here in New York and then travel there whenever i need to yeah um i mean that that's what i would like to do that's the of course of course yeah (laughs) one day one day (laughs) so you're big in r&b you've played with a Mm -hmm. ton of different artists but your your r&b is a particular style of play right and i've seen your videos where you're talking about how to do r&b licks and and stuff like that as we mentioned you also play gospel music right is there a particular style of play when it comes with gospel? Like, can you do a video on gospel licks? Is that a thing? Yeah. So the thing about gospel licks, there are no coined gospel licks because okay. gospel is, it's really, there's a lot of emotion and feeling depending on different things. Now there are different assignments now, depending on what type of church you play at or what type of artist you play at, 
as a guitarist, you may be asked to do a lot of lines. You know, if you're playing like for, I got played for Pastor Mike Jr. So in that, in his particular, you know, performance or show, whatever, I'm asked to do a lot of chords, but then I'm also to play, asked to play a lot of lines. CCM kind of, I'm more apt to do more atmospheric kind of thing, like more reverb and kind of delay ambiance. So you have different things. So it's not really like a coined lick per se, it's more of a, an assignment, whatever your particular role is in that banner, in that unit. So gospel, we can teach you like the different approaches, but at the end of the day, you have to be sensitive enough to know like, okay, I got to use this approach, but maybe I shouldn't use overdrive at this particular point because it's, it's, the moment is more of kind of a worship, like atmospheric, like we're setting the mood kind of deal. So you got to really know like which roles you got to do. And also it's really keen on, because a lot of guitar players sometimes don't know tone. We can be loud. Our instrument can be very loud. We got a lot of stuff. So understanding how to be very nuanced, very like placement is really important. So there's there's a lot of things in gospel that you almost have to keep your head on a swivel when you're playing because it's it's always moving, it's always changing. The the service can go from a worship moment to like a praise bump or to just like where you're backing up a preacher. There's a lot of different nuances that you have to be really sensitive enough to know. I would tell most of my guitar player friends if you can really sit down with a keyboard player and if the one is patient enough to show you and like so different chords, that'll definitely help your growth really quickly. That's all really interesting. I hadn't heard anyone talk about playing gospel that way, but mm-hmm. it makes so much sense because yeah. you have you have different moments. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not just trying to like shred and get right. people really into the music. You're trying to get right. them to focus <laughs> on something else. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. I guess this is a good time because this is a generally a comedy podcast. So there are a lot of right. comedians listening who may not know some of the terminology. Right. So they're talking about licks and their lines <laughs> and their chords and stuff. Chords people probably know, but right. what's the difference between playing chords and playing lines? Okay. So chords are like in a song, each song has a series of chords. That's what makes you know the song. Now there's right. a melody or lines, right? So let's just say Mary had a little lamb. So Mary had a little lamb. That's the melody. That would be us playing the line. Dun, 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 dun. But the chords are just holding. Mary had a little. Like you're playing the chords in order to right. facilitate the song. So that's the difference. That's the the layman's terms, like the easiest way to kind of describe it and really give you more of an understanding of what it is. Every song has chords. It could be one or two, depending on what they're writing about. But the melody is where you would get into you playing the lines or playing a riff, which is like a, a semblance of a line, just kind of like an idea to kind of, you know, make the, the melody come to life. I've always heard people kind of interchange guitar lick and guitar riff. Yeah, it's, it's just depending on where you're from in the world. You know, okay. like, I, I love the riff, which is essentially it's the same thing, okay. you know, like, you know, East Coast, West Coast, like we all have different terminology, but we're really talking about the same thing. Okay. That always confused me when I was right. It's understandable. Like, huh? yeah. <laughs> so what's it like shifting from playing for an R&B artist like Jason Derulo yeah. and then playing with a gospel act like Michelle Williams to then playing with a rapper like Ty Dollar Sign? That's a great question. The, the biggest thing would be mindset. You know, like mm-hmm. essentially you already know how to play these songs. Like you're a musician, you already understand. So playing with like a pop star like Jason Derulo, you already know that the show is going to be high intensity, yeah. high energy. There's like pyro, there's dancing. Mm-hmm. You have to really come with the show. And, but the music is simplistic in a sense, like you're not asked to do a lot of movements. You just actually like kind of, it's more of an energy kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, with Jason Derulo, you're going to have to jump. You're going to have to be really in the moment. 
mm-hmm. really sell the part. So when there's like guitar solos, you're going to have to, you know, really sell the image because it's a show. Right, right. Now, if you're playing for somebody like Michelle Williams, like the gospel aspect, the music more so does the work. You play the music. So the music kind of sets the atmosphere and the environment. You don't have to necessarily do so much show stuff. Like there's not really, if there's a solo, it's really tasteful stuff and not really like I'm getting on my knees and I'm shredding, trying to, you know, make everybody pay attention when I'm doing this more. We want to build that moment. But if you're playing like for a rapper, again, that's more energy because it's just more like, you know, being in the moment of creating that space. So it's almost kind of like Derulo, but you're not necessarily jumping around per se. So, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, you just got to be sensitive to the moment, but each artist, it's just like, you know, if you, a different pair of shoes, like they're all shoes, they all do the same thing, but like, but each pair of shoes has a different assignment. So if I'm wearing a pair of like basketball shoes, I know I'm about to go play basketball. If I'm wearing right. a pair of like nice loafers then I'm probably going out to a nice dinner or something, whatever the case is. Right. So you just, they're all, they all essentially, it's all music, but they all have different assignments that you need to do and approach them that way. Oh, interesting. And, and then of course, playing with someone like Ashley Hamilton is probably more about, again, maybe a little bit more of nuance. Like he's such an yeah, interesting very, artist and it's, very, it's so, very much so. you know, yeah, you're not playing big, right? but it's exactly. a different nuance than gospel. Yeah. So the thing is like, when you're in that space, your, your job as a guitarist is to really enhance whatever the artist needs. You yeah. know, if, if they're like, okay, Carrie, we want you to take a solo. Like you want to make sure if, if it's not programmed already, but if it's like in the moment kind of deal, you want to make sure you capture that moment because you want to make sure whoever's listening to the music is an experience. You want to be like, oh man, when I was at the show, like there was this crazy moment, the guitar player did whatever. It's an experience. It's something that they will remember for the rest of their lives. They'll tell their kids about it or they'll tell their friends about it. You want to give them that experience. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's some of the stuff people don't necessarily think about when they are learning guitar is, oh, I've got to fit the mood. It's not just knowing how to do all these different techniques well i gotta also there and there's also feel i mean of course a lot of people talk about feel with music but yeah that's interesting that's i've not heard anyone talk about that right because there's a lot of times when you listen to music you may not necessarily remember all the lyrics but if a song is really good you're going to know how the song like you know at this time i was going through a crazy part of my life and this was the song i listened to every single day right because it's, it's a feeling it's an emotion that allows so when you're on stage, it's your job to create that moment because you never know what anybody in the audience is experiencing. You can't be like, okay, where are your feelings on your sleeve? Literally, so I could see like, okay, you're you're angry. So we're going to play the song angry today. You, you have to try to create whatever environment to help them get through that particular place because yeah. that's your job. You know, you're facilitating a moment. It reminds me of something I heard Sting say about songwriting when he wrote Desert Rose. He wrote his lyrics and it was about, you know, just based on how the song feels, mm-hmm. he wrote the lyrics uh, that were, you know, it was about what it was about to him. And he has another artist singing on there who's singing another in another language and wrote right. the, his lyrics in another language. And Sting asked him what his lyrics were about. And it happened to be the same thing Sting had wow. written about. And they're both just going by the feel of the song. Yeah. Yeah. That's super yes. awesome. Yeah, it's like yeah, that, that uh, the magic of music. <laughs> True. Very. It's a very spiritual thing, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Definitely. I saw that you did something with The Roots. What did you do with The Roots? So I had an opportunity to play uh, at The Roots Grammy Jam. So this was uh, Grammys, I can't even remember what year. And there was a guitar player who was supposed to fit it, sit in because Kurt had something to do earlier in that day. So uh, I got a chance to sit in with The Roots, playing with Questlove, Black Thought, and just... 
the vibe and the energy was just crazy. And then, you know, Kurt got a chance to come up there. So we got a chance to jam together. So it was really oh, that's cool awesome. to be in that moment because, I mean, that's a group that I've always looked up to. So yeah, get a chance to sit in with them and just feel like, just watch how they do things because, you know, like a, a group that you've always looked at and you've always been on the other side of the road being in the audience. And now you're getting a chance to be on stage and, and see how they vibe, how they do their energy, how they, how they talk to each other, like, okay, we're getting ready to do the next song. The changes are just the little nuanced stuff that you don't get the chance to hear as being a, you know, a patron, right. you get the chance to be on stage. So it's just like, you're looking at like, oh my God, this quest left behind me. Like I got to make sure I don't mess up. You know, it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. They are, they can do anything. They can yeah. play with anyone. Anyone. Yeah. They're so tight. And, and there's, yeah. it is interesting to sort of see them. Cause I knew that you mentioned Questlove, like talking right. to them. Uh, talking to the band and i've seen him he has another mic yeah next to him on the tonight show and it's yeah. obviously the one he uses to talk to the band and I'm right so they, all the band is like on in-ears so again right. it's almost like if you're playing football or you have the offensive coordinator kind of giving you the plays yeah like, okay all right cool the next song is we're just going to play like a snippet for like eight bars but then like all right you know what i'm saying quest love is i'm gonna i'm gonna take a solo right here and then kurt you come do whatever you know so they're kind of talking through everything so it's almost giving you the play-by-play before it happens so when you get to that point you're not like oh what do we do now it's an impasse do i go left or do i go right you already know exactly which way you're going so it's really cool wild yeah super cool what's been your best gig your favorite gig mm, that's that's always a good question um i'm sure honestly, you have a lot I really <laughs> I, I have I, I think when i was out with keanu Day, i think it was a special moment because like a new upcoming artist that was that had a lot of notoriety and then two getting a chance to kind of watch her career blossom and being on stage to kind of help facilitate that and it was a, a tour in such a way that like i got a chance to let a lot of my family members that were around the country and then some of my army buddies got a chance to come in and watch the show so that was probably a very special moment but of course i mean doing the Drillo gig was i i've got so many stamps in my passport that from just working with him that I, yeah. I never thought a kid from Alabama could get a chance, you know, to play guitar literally all over the world. So yeah, those, those were special moments. So, yeah. That's dope. I know that you're a big John Mayer fan. I am too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have his silver sky. Yes, sir. I noticed that you upgraded, you, you changed yeah. that bridge pickup to a humbucker. Did, did definitely. Why did you get <laughs> Like, why'd you get a silver sky and then change it? Like, why right, not so, wait for the SE to come out if you're going to change it? All right. So for me, John, and I watched his interview with, with Paul, which is the, the Paul Ray Smith is one person that makes the guitars, their attention to detail. So I have a lot of guitars that already have that same configuration, the playability and what the guitars can do. It's I'm fighting with guitars. They sound great, but it's like on stage, they don't play very well. So even John's attention to detail, how he, they, they went with a different tuning peg to make sure the guitar stays in tune. The different intonation of why they changed the headstock. There's so much attention to detail and an overall playability. So yeah, I love the, the 60s style pickups that he uses. Yeah. When it comes to the bridge, for me, I just, I need to make sure I have something that's going to melt the, the paint off the walls if I ever have to solo. So okay. the humbucker for me just gives me a lot more girth. Mm -hmm. That's always been a kind of setup for me. Now I love like regular Strat style guitars that have like SSS, but I, that humbucker is just, it just has a lot more presence when it comes time to solo. And that was sure. the only reason why I changed it up because I was like, I need that specific setup. So that way, whenever I start mm -hmm. playing, it's, it's a comfort level. So, you know, like when you get a, a certain car that you like, and you're so used to like maybe having, you know, your armrest right here. So most cars that you get in, like if we can switch that out, I'd love to have my arm. So there's various yeah. little nuanced things that you want. So that was the reason why I switched it out. 
Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm such a nerd that I was watching the videos. Like, I'm not even... Like, I've had guitars. I have right. a guitar. I don't know how to play guitar well, you know. <laughs> right. But I was still looking at all those videos <laughs> right. about, about it because it was so interesting hearing them talk about the design and why they right. were changing it. And it, it wasn't all just aesthetics. It was all, right. it was all exactly. like playability. Cause, right, because when, um, when I first saw it, I was like, why would they change the head? I, I mean, I'm... I'm, I was disgusted a little bit. I was like, why would they do that? Like, I understand this is your signature model, but like this this headstock has been legendary for years. Why would you change it? Until I, like I said, watching and understanding like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And now that I have the guitar, even the the, the fret size, and even the, the shape of the neck, the playability, like I understand why he did what he did. And then if I play another guitar that's set up similar, I can feel the difference. I can see wow. the difference. I can hear the difference. So John can articulate specifically what he wants. I'm one of those guys, if I get in there, if they would ask me what I want. I'm like, yeah, I wanted to feel like this. What kind of wood do you want? Just make it, I don't know, make it pretty. I don't know. You know, but he's so meticulous. And, and I would like to say it's such a gear nerd that he yeah. and Paul Reed made the perfect guitar. So, mm. Yeah, and that's becoming your main guitar, right? Right, definitely, definitely. is. I mean, I had it. And since I've had it, it's really been the first one that I select whenever I'm going out and whenever I'm playing. So, yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about it from people who've got their hands on one. Yeah. And I've heard good things about the SC model too. Have you right. tested the SC? I haven't got a chance to play the SC model, but most of the people that I have, I've heard talk about it. It's just like, it's really good. But when I hear videos not because I'm, I'm more of a person, like I want to hear various people play. It doesn't matter if they're right. really professional. I want to hear the various styles. That way you can kind of gauge what, what can the guitar do? Right. And I've heard nothing but great things. So, yeah. It sounds so good too. Yeah. yeah. And I, I guess he played it. I just saw him in tour and he played he played it on something and it oh wow. Still sounded really that's good. The, that's the way to listen. If you can grab an SC bottle and like play that's that's the selling point right there. So the weird thing about the Silver Sky is that I'm I wonder how what the aging is gonna be because we mm. have never seen an aged silver sky because it hasn't been mm -hmm. out long enough. And right. he is switching his enough. Right. That I, it'll be a while before he, <laughs> before he ages one down, you know, right. like it, it, that's going to be interesting. I, I'm wondering how I that's think it could be play. really cool, though. I mean, because yeah. I mean, most PRS guitars, if you play them often, you're going to get war wounds on the back of them. So they're going to chip up a little bit. They're going to get a little scar. So I think it could be really cool to have see one that's like really distressed. I think that mm -hmm. could be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially a Strat style guitar yeah, that's distressed is like exactly. a classic look right <laughs> yeah I, I just had to ask you about that because i was like oh wait he put a humbucker oh that's cool yep. at this point we're gonna have to we're talking about it on the youtube version we have to put a picture up of the <laughs> right, original of <laughs> silver <laughs> sky and then the se silver sky and then your right. your version just so people know what we're talking about exactly cool <laughs> When it comes to someone who wants to start playing guitar, what advice would you have for them? Because I've, I ask this because the conventional wisdom when it comes to buying a guitar, right? it's buy something cheap in case you don't take to it. But I'm starting to hear a lot of people that I like say that's terrible advice because if you get a cheap guitar, it could right. be a bad guitar. And if you're trying to start with a bad guitar, you <laughs> yeah. won't take to it. Also, if you That's just true. have the mentality going in of like, well, maybe I won't take to it, then you right. probably won't, right? Like you're already sure. like psyching yourself out. Yeah. What I would say is like, if you're going to get a guitar and you want to start out, 
don't get something at a crazy price point. Like I wouldn't right. say suggest go get in a PRS, like paying 3,500 for a guitar. Like you're just starting out. <laughs> right. I would probably try to stay in like a $500 range. The reason why I say that is it gives you where you're not getting a crappy instrument. Like you were just alluded to. Cause if it's a crappy instrument, you're not going to want to play it because it's going to be difficult and challenging to play. It's not going to sound like what you want. I had but, that experience. Um, I bought a right. crappy. Now I I know that Squires, there are good Squire strats out yeah. there, but the one I bought 15 years ago or whatever is my first yeah. electric and it wasn't good. Yeah, and it true. stunted my growth. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. I would say before you pull the trigger on getting a guitar, go put it in your hands. Even if you don't even know what you're doing, See what it sounds like. Does it buzz when you play? Like, just really try to be as intentional about understanding what all it can do. Even if you don't like know the, all the notes, you just go down and like, okay, cool. It's, well, it buzzes right here. So I, I may want to stay away from that one because it could be weird. Don't buy just a guitar based upon the aesthetics. Oh, it looks really cool. So it should be good. You can be fooled plenty of times. The first bit of advice I would say when you're trying to learn how to play guitar, realize that it's a marathon and not a sprint. So that means it's, it can be a slow build. So essentially you're trying to get your hands to do things that they've never done. Or you could be a child prodigy to come out the gate. Like we just show you a couple of things. The next thing you know, you're going up and down the neck of the guitar. Comparison is the killer of all joy. So don't look over at your neighbor and be like, oh, well, I mean, we got our guitars around the same time. He's been over here blazing. We don't know. He may not sleep. He may just be up practicing like hours upon hours. You know, yeah. you may have a regular life and do whatever. So don't try to do the comparison thing because that would definitely kill your confidence. Repetition, the more you can kind of repeat what it is because it starts to become muscle memory. So the more you can do it, the easier it'll become. Even if you just got to practice working on, I'm just doing my basic scale. Okay, I can only do a couple chords. Now I want to expand that. So give yourself some grace in the sense of it, it is a marathon and not a sprint. Make things digestible. Try to take a couple concepts at a time. Don't try to think like, oh, I heard this song on the radio. I want to learn how to play the song. If you learn how to play that song, understand the, the backstory behind it. Like what, what I mean by the backstory, okay, what key is the song in? What is the progression? You know, so that way, if you learn the song, now you want to start to break it down so that it makes sense. So whenever you're playing something else and you're explaining it or somebody's like, oh, okay, it sounds like the song that you just learned. Now, you know, like, oh, okay, cool. That progression was five, six, four. Or if you hear people talk about numbers, you're like, okay, now I know what that means. So yeah. just make it digestible and understand exactly what you're doing. Now, if you just want to be a carbon copy and just play what you hear, just know what your what success looks like to you. Because everybody, yeah. you know, level of success could be like, oh, I just wanted to learn how to play like, you know, this song by Guns N' Roses. Cool, you got it. So now you've accomplished it. But now if you really want to kind of understand and be able to play various songs that you hear, like now do the backstory of why it makes sense and like, what is this? Okay. So if they say go to the key of C, now I know what that is. So all the songs that I'm playing, I know that I can play them in the key of C. So it just starts, those little small nuances will start to make sense for you. Yeah, that is really great advice. And, and I heard John Mayer actually give similar advice in yeah. one of his online videos uh, a long time ago. And mm -hmm. it's such smart advice because those are the building blocks that will help right. you learn how to, or at least understand how people solo. Yeah, for now, sure. It is yeah. the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's really, and there's so much bad advice out there. There's so much. <laughs> yes, if you're on looking at ads on Instagram or YouTube, yeah. because I look at so much stuff involving guitarists, I right. get all those ads that are like, <laughs> right. learn to play guitar, just practicing two minutes a day and you'll right. get great. And it's, it's all a scam, right? right? Yeah. yeah for it's sure. not realistic at all. Like, no, what are you really no. learning? Right. <laughs> I kind of want, 
what you get when you go to the gym. Like I want the guitar practice equivalent of going to the gym and saying, Hey, I want to lose weight. Wow. I want to tone up. I don't want to, I don't want strength exercise. I just want this. So what do I need to do to do that? And that's one of the things that we try to target at Carrie's camp. Like we have roadmaps. So if you want to learn a specific thing, it's really like what you want to focus on versus just getting so much like, I really don't care about the, you know, the diet part. I just, like you said, I want to work on like toning up. So how can I do that? And that's one of the things that we talked about, like when we were developing it, like let's create roadmaps because everybody wants different things. You know, we don't want like a, well, this is the blanket course and everybody's got to go down the same path. Like, well, if you want to veer off, nope, everybody's got to go take these (laughs) lessons consecutively. Like that's not realistic because we all want different things. Right. So that's one of the, the ways that I try to set up the course so that way you can, it's really, you go at whatever you're looking for. If this is what you want to look for, all right, you take this roadmap, it's going to help you get to the places you want to get. Yeah, I mean, that's, I I definitely need that. I, I had Mary Spender on and she gave good advice. I think it's good advice. Her advice was like, play, learn to play a song, learn, learn mm-hmm. a song. And I think that's good advice for, depending on the type of person. Right. For me, when I learned songs, I was slowly getting better at playing that song, but I didn't feel like I was getting better at playing the guitar because, because I have a specific thing that I want to do. I want to learn how to, you know, I, I, what I want to really do is show somebody like you or Danish Pete from Anderton's (laughs) playing over a backing track and be like, I want to learn how to do that. What do I need to do to do that? Right. And it sounds like happy campers provide some insight. Yeah. Because everybody's at a different level. So like, you know, like you were saying, if you want to learn how to do something like that, I would say one of the first things you need to do is work on your ear training so where you can hear exactly what's, so if you are given a backing track, oh, I can hear like, okay, they're in this particular key. So now I know, let me focus in on using my certain target points. And that's one of the things I really talk about. I talk about using like a formula that works in every genre, because if you make guitar simple, it's easy to duplicate. Everything that I'm teaching, I've actually used on every stage. When I singer songwriter gigs, I use the same format, R&B, gospel, hip hop. It doesn't matter. I use the same format so that I'm able to play because there was a time where I was getting all these gigs at the same time and I had to figure out how to play for different artists in the same week. If I didn't come up with a format and a formula that made it simple, I'd have been there like, man, this is overwhelming. I cannot do this. So that's one of the reasons that like Carrie's Camp is so successful for so many people because I don't want to say I like I make it like idiot proof, but I try to make it to the point to where anybody can digest it uh-huh. and duplicate it to start to get results to start to hear exactly what they want to be able to play. Oh, that's cool. And, I, you know, I also like that you pointed out to that people should not get into the comparison game because you never really know. And it's also just, you know, I'm looking at people like you or Corey Wong and, I, right. and I'm like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. It's well, you know. I, I right. saw some today with some video and I was like, how do you get his pinky? He's playing, <laughs> doing all that with his pinky. I cannot do that. But you've been playing since you were 10. I can't. Right. I so can't if you don't know the backstory, right. if you just randomly see it, you're going to be like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just quit. So that's what I said. Like, <laughs> you got to be careful with the comparison. Like you, you mentioned up Corey, right? So Corey and I played on uh, a gig together. Uh, it's a pickup jazz. We were both in LA. Now, mind oh. you, Corey's got like the whole funk thing. That's not really my vibe. Uh-huh. But if I would have been on stage and been like, I can't do what he can do, then I can't necessarily use my skill set to accompany him. So like, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though like we both played two different genres, we were able to kind of blend it to make it feel good at that moment. It's really a point of like not trying to compare, just a moment of like, how can I bring what I bring to the table? Because I that's right. one thing I can do authentically, you know? So 
Right. And moment, and so. you're up there because they want you to do what you, you do. Exactly. Right, exactly. right. Is there video of you two playing together somewhere? So there yeah. might be. Um, I know Pickup Jazz. They were the ones that posted a video years ago. So I'll probably like okay. look on their channel. Okay, I got to yeah. see that. Best friend of the show, Rob, is a guitarist. Okay, he showed me Corey Wong a little while ago. Yeah, Corey's a problem. <laughs> I love what Corey can do. <laughs> Corey's a problem, and he's he's, awesome. he's like that. He doesn't matter the setting. He can play that. That he's authentically himself, and that's one of the things that I'm really appreciating about people that play. They know this is what I do. I'm going to yeah. stick with that, you know what I mean, which is great. And they can they can duplicate it all the time. Yeah, always. So I'd love to. I almost saw him live, but we couldn't. He was just in Brooklyn a little while ago. And I was like, gotcha. I can't go to the show. I think Ariel Posen is, is perform, or I think he's about to perform in a couple of days. Oh, I could, couldn't make it to that either. Oh, I, man. I'm like, he's he's phenomenal, too, man. Yeah. Like, unreal. Like that SC model Silver Sky commercial. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched that so many times because of his part. Yeah. It's unreal good. It makes the guitar sound great. Yeah. So ah, he's he's unreal. Well, this has been a great chat. Yeah. Let's create something together. Okay. Cool. And I guess there are a few options. We could talk through how a social media game looks, or gotcha. we can uh, talk about a, a practice uh, that someone could do, which sounds more appealing to you. Either one. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, social media is kind of like the new craze that everybody can really do because, you yeah. know, guitar is, is a niche thing. So, but if I, if I think about when it comes to social media, I would say the biggest thing, honestly, is developing a schedule. Okay. If you develop a schedule, let's say you want to get into the point of maybe one day, let's, you know, you have a day where you have some downtime, record multiple videos in the same day. They don't have to all be like 10 minutes. You can have, honestly, I would do different shirts because most of the times you're filming stuff, you're doing it from like the waist up. Change your shirt up. That way it looks like you had multiple videos, right? And then just post them in different days because that way you've done all your videos in one day versus you trying to do something every single day. That's, That's one of the ways. such a good point. Yeah, I used to do that. And if I don't do that all the time, but sometimes I, I will do that. I'll just definitely be in here recording content. I'll be like, oh, let me at least change my shirt or either change my shirt and my hat, and my glasses to make it look like, because I have time to do it today. Now you've got all the videos you're doing. And then like with social media, you don't have to post the whole thing. You can necessarily grab like a highlight spot. So if you go through and you're editing like, oh, okay, cool. This is a cool moment. iPhones allow you to do, iPhones will allow you to be great. You know, so yeah, take that moment and then just post it. And that's all you need to do. It's really more so about like how you caption it. Even if you're making mistakes, you'd be like, listen, I'm in here trying to buy about, Y'all be patient with me, blah, 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 blah. You realize how much grace people will give you. Like, oh man, no, that was really cool. We really like that. I didn't hear any mistakes. And next thing you know, you're showing yourself as being human. You're not yeah. like this robot that's like flawless every single time. So it's really right. about like being more personal you can be on your post, mm -hmm. the better you can be, like the more connection you can make with people. Yeah, and being real yeah. too. You know, I, I see a lot of people trying to be a guru before they've really reached guru <laughs> status. Right. And it doesn't necessarily go well for a lot. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. For <laughs> it's, sure. It's interesting. And I've I've seen a video where you were sort of like, "Hey, I'm just trying, I'm just trying I'm this." And then I listened exactly. to it. And I was like, "That sounds great. That's you know, like this is this is this was worth watching because I learned right. something and it was enjoyable to watch. Exactly. Like, pleasing to listen to. That's really great advice, especially that do a bunch in a day because. My hang up lately has been when I see people do, because you have an Instagram thing a day. 
Right. Sometimes I'll see people do stuff a day and I'm like, gosh, as a comedian, what would I do and not burn out? Right. But if I have a day where I just feel like I've got a lot I could yeah. do, I could just shoot a lot that day. That day. And that, now you have all of this. Read it out over a couple up. of weeks. <laughs> You've won. I'm telling you, because when, especially when like I was in peak tour season, there was no way for me to do a video a day. I was like, there's no way I'm not, I don't have the time. Mm-hmm. But like, let's say I, on a Monday, I, Monday's my day off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let me take like four or five hours, but I can pace myself. I don't have to just sit there and just sledge them out. Let's just say I got time. Okay, I'll knock out four videos right now. Okay, I'll knock out another two. I'll change my shirt, change my hat. But now I'm in that time. I've saved all those videos. Mm-hmm. I can go back and edit different snippets. Yeah. I've seen, you know, it's just like I'm posting it. So yeah. it's like, okay, you've got all this stuff done. And people are, they don't know the difference. They don't know you've, you've been in the same day. They just see like, right. oh, cool. He's got content every day. How does he do that? Yeah. And then it's also, really if you idea. have a team, you can shoot exactly. it and give the videos to the team and, and be like, you it. figured this out. Exactly. And exactly. <laughs> Oh gosh, that's such a helpful thing. And I, I, I'm kind of mad I didn't think of that because I knew <laughs> that like David Letterman on Thursdays when he was hosting Late Show, he would record two on Thursday. Yep. One for Thursday night, the other for Friday night. He had Friday off. It's like he's got a three day weekend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Every there's, week. There's ways. I mean, especially like you said, you talk about late night. There's plenty of times, even when like we've recorded Jimmy Kimmel, we're recording it like in the early afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the next thing is at night. So I'm like, okay, if they're doing this, I got it. They got to work smarter, not harder. I got to figure out a way to make things make sense. So that's what I started to do. And it really makes your life more manageable. So you don't feel so stressed out or anxious. Like, how am I supposed to do this? I don't feel like making content today. You've already done it. You already, especially when you're like, when you're hot and you're on, that's the time to kind of be like, oh, let me turn these out because I got time. Ah, there it is. Carrie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Man, glad to be here, man. Thank you again. I'm so glad I got to talk to him. I've really admired his stuff on YouTube for a long time and Instagram. Go to carrytoosmooth.com for more on him and his lessons. Follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at carrytoosmooth. That's the number two smooth. We'll have some fun videos in our YouTube enhanced version of this episode in a couple of weeks. So subscribe to our YouTube and hit the bell to get notifications. Go to youtube.com slash there it is. Also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at there it is pod and follow me on Twitter at Jason Far jokes and Instagram at Jason Far picks. Also subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us. If you can, we have a Patreon and a PayPal go to there it is pod.com for newsletter and support info links in bio we've got a musical guest coming up in the not too distant future until next time be good to each other the music for the theme song was created by neil brooks the rap was written and performed by nick acevedo the logo for there it is was created by jeff prater the there it is podcast is produced by jason farr